Welcome to My Limited View with Sergio Novoa and Vanessa Wilkins, where we share stories and expand our views. I flirt with my therapist. Stop giving your love. This one time on Muni, your parents love you. He was my first. Life is good. It felt like home. Secrets. We all have a story. What's yours? What's yours? What's yours? All right, everyone. Welcome back to My Limited View. Today, I have a very special guest. He is a surrealist artist, author, and entertainer who for purposes of amusing, inspiring, and or uplifting his fellow human beings, writes and recites modern tall tales and light verses, publishes original works of illustrated literature, paints all striking dreamscapes, and dazzles San Franciscans daily as a juggling, unicycle, ukulele streaming, madman about town. He also hosts the YouTube series, Need a Lift, and his most recent book, is titled Samantha Muffinbaker and the Funny Land of Flink, a tall tale. Please help me in welcoming the very talented Clyde Always. Hey, sir. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Sergio? Did it, I'm doing well. Did I did I pretty much cover who Clyde Always is? Did I get the essence of Clyde? I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's saying something too. A, you are not short with the words. You are quite uh, articulate. So yes. Well, congratulations on your new book. Well, thank you. Why don't we start by you uh, doing a reading from your book? Is there a favorite passage you have? Anything you'd like to read to us? Allow me to read a, uh, a particularly heartwarming excerpt from Samantha Muffinbaker and the funny land of flink but before i do just some quick background this book is intended i wrote it for youngsters i wrote it for um kids between 10 and 12 but that's not to say that a really clever eight-year-old wouldn't have a good time reading it and that's also not to say that a really clever 34 year old wouldn't highly enjoy it for what it is it's a story it's a narrative it's a tale all right and it's about characters Samantha Muffinbaker and her dear little uh, friend, wink, wink, Daniel Gold, all right? Because I think we can all, I think especially the ladies can all remember to a time when they were 11 and they might've had a little, oh, they might've felt a little Twitter-pated by maybe their, their best friend who had, you know, scabs on his knees or, or maybe he had um, an overbearing mother. I'm, I'm feeling a little, a little, to pattern myself right now just oh, hearing this yes. <laughs> anyway with no more further ado here it comes uh just a reading i hope you guys enjoy and, and welcome by the way to my story salon i hope you um feel right at home here oh and, uh, sorry one more introduction before i start reading um my beautiful bride my 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 better half mrs kaylee the ukulele always not to be confused with her sister Haley, who unfortunately met her untimely demise over the summer. We're very sorry to have buried, to have interred the body of Haley the ukulele, but I, as keeping with the tradition in the old country, went and married her sister, her younger <laughs> sister. Some traditions we should just keep, I think. He carries this ukulele everywhere he goes. <laughs> yeah, joined at the hip. At the hip, exactly. Okay, no, with no more further ado, chapter 18 of Samantha Muffinbaker and the Funny Land of Flink. Wailing their heads off, the children plummeted like skydivers through a mysterious sparkling tunnel. They soon realized, however, that falling without ever hitting the ground isn't so much like falling at all, but more like floating. 
They stopped screaming, flashed each other a silent smirk, and then, as if they had been told a very funny joke, they both started shrieking with laughter. We, Samantha exclaimed. This is fun. Yeah, Daniel agreed. I can't believe it. I'm, I'm not scared. Look at all these colors, Samantha giggled, grasping at slippery rainbows which swirled around their faces. The colors weren't just normal colors like purple and green and yellow and blue and red. Well, these were yurple and bleen and rue and ped and grello, plus a billion and a half other colors that you couldn't even find a name for if you tried. It smells so good in here too, Daniel exclaimed, drawing a deep breath through his nose. It smells like cinnamon babka. Well, I smell cotton candy, Samantha called out after a huge whiff, and cookies and birthday cake too. Samantha, do you feel kind of funny? Daniel asked her, taking her by both hands. Yeah, I do, she told him as her eyes began to twinkle. Samantha, he whispered, not daring to blink. There's something I've got to tell you. Tell me, Samantha pleaded, leaning closer to her best friend. I swear I won't blab it to anybody. I, Daniel stuttered, chins trembling. Then courageously, he loudly proclaimed, I like you. I like you back, Samantha squealed, smiling widely, not even thinking about the gap in her teeth. You do, Daniel asked, puffing up his chest. Really? Yes, really, Samantha insisted. I, I know I'm always teasing you and making fun of you and being mean to you, but, but I only did that stuff because I like you and I think you're so smart and so sweet. And Oh, Daniel, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, she cried, throwing her arms around him. It's okay, he told her, hugging her tightly. Will you forgive me for being such a crybaby all the time? I'm sorry, I always think too much and ruin things by being such a wimp. They were too caught up in this exchange to notice that the rainbows around them were growing brighter and more beautiful. And the smells were also becoming stronger, more delicious. Then happy music began to rise in their ears, crashing drums and playful fiddles. Their funny feeling was exploding in them now like fireworks on the 4th of July. And then without thought of preparation, Daniel leaned forward and he planted a kiss right on Samantha's lips. Then, with another startling bang, the colors vanished around them as the smells turned suddenly sour and the children plunged headfirst into a gigantic pile of garbage. All right, so is this your subtle way of flirting with me, Clyde? Is that, is that what's happening here? <laughs> Wish, baby. <laughs> You wish. I knew that. I knew what that was, what this was about. <laughs> this conversation has ended. Um, now, clearly, all this happened pre-COVID because they're having. They seem to be having quite a lot of fun. I know. That's it great. Did. It's so interesting when you you forget as an adult, or I mean, I can only speak for myself. We tend to forget the inner child we have, and just yeah. hearing a simple story like that with the details of the rainbows and the colors getting brighter and the innocence behind that a reminder to reconnect with that inner child oh, and sure. that simplicity of like having a crush on someone and yeah. that anticipation and nervousness of letting them know. Let me Great. just interject one little point on that note about your inner child, because that is 
It's like as much as you want to try and analyze that, I would equate it to just one simple feeling. When you're a kid, think about it. When you're a little kid, everything in the world is completely novel. So everything about your day is positively astounding. You might see a beetle on the ground and be fascinated by it. Us, we're grown up, we've seen it before. We say, ah, smush you, beetle, we hate you, all right? You know what it is? It's that feeling of, of not being able to wait to jump out of bed in the morning. When you're an adult, you're like, oh, I don't wanna get up, fuck it. But when you're a kid, you say, fuck, I can't wait to get up and embrace this day. Because what is your life but just a never ending series of days? Very true. That's true. Also, we, we've seen so much that we are no longer in wonderment and appreciation of the simple things. Sometimes just taking my dog for a walk and watching him and the things he does just provides this kind of moment of completely detaching my brain from anything logical. And I'm in awe of, of him and the things he does. So yes, no, that's great. So this book is, like you said, aimed for 10 to 12 year olds. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, could obviously, depending on who you are, you, you could, I mean, I still watch Sesame Street and I can tell you that I thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah. I could, so there's a movie that came out called Sesame Street, Follow That Bird. If that movie plays on TV, I will watch it as if it was the first time I've seen it. So I think I haven't lost my inner child, which is probably well, what good. keeps me somewhat sane. Oh, well, that's good, man. I'm glad yeah. to hear that. So how would you describe your book to our listeners? What's your elevator pitch for your book? There you go. Oh, the book? Oh, well, let me just read you the uh, description on the back real quick. <laughs> Gap-tooth tattletale, Samantha Muffinbaker, casually boards a flying rowboat piloted by a foul-breathed stranger named Petey. Why not? Chubby know-it-all, Daniel Gold, couldn't have imagined horrors worse than his mother's wrath. But that's only until Petey maroons these two 11-year-olds in the inhospitable country of Flink. There, after learning that Grandma Sue, one of the beloved locals, has been betrayed by her devious garden gnome, Samantha and Daniel consider it their duty to deliver justice even if the old lady is being held captive by the president himself. Any savvy listener of yours will understand that there's a fair amount of social commentary at play, carefully disguised, cleverly disguised. So as parents are reading this book to their children, will the parents be smirking and snickering under their breath at the cleverness of, uh, of the social commentary? That's perfect. Not, not only that, but um, there's a ton of wordplay. Yes, you are the king of wordplay. Well, thank you for that. I mean, I'm not the king, but maybe, maybe the 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 heir. The heir. There the you go. Who knows? I don't know. Anyway, but wait. Before I carry on, I just want to, because um, it's a fascinating story where this story came from. Because I think maybe that was part of uh, of our discussion today would be about the process. Like that was going to be my next question. What inspired oh, you to write this book? Perfect. All right. It was kind of a mouthful, so let me get it out. It all started, I, you know this about me, Sergio, that this is part of my live act, is I'm a recitationist of fine verse, uh, rhyming verse, metrical verse, ear-pleasing poetry. Not the poetry that 
bogs down, not the poetry that reprimands, but the poetry that is playful, the poetry that is fun. This is, uh, this is the manner of um, performance that I specialize in. I'm not a comic, all right, but I am a comedian. There's a difference, there's a distinction. I'm too comedic to hang with the poets and I'm too poetic to hang with the comics. I walk this interesting tightrope. That's why I bill myself as a vaudevillian storyteller, all right? The point is, is that I, one night, uh, felt so motivated to write a nonsense verse inspired by the late great Edward Lear, who was a British poet from the 1800s, um, who wrote lots of wonderful nonsense poetry, some of which I even recite at times, one being the, uh, the owl and the pussycat, which always gets a laugh. Anyway, I wrote a nonsense poem called Grandma Sue, and it goes like this. When my grandmother Sue was 102, she had moved to the country of Flink, which was infamous for its magnificent shore that would shimmer in purple and pink. And every September, she'd always remember to write me in octopus ink. After dipping her pen, she would lick it and then fancy paper, she'd pummel and punch. All then brimming with hope, one manila envelope would be plucked from his brothers, the bunch, and she'd stuff in the letter and do me two better, 10 bucks and some crackerty crunch. Once she'd rummaged a stamp to the yard would she tramp, there she'd sit with a gnome name of Trevor. And Vivaldi they'd hum till the mailman would come. He'd arrive about quarter to never. See, I found it upsetting. My Graham kept forgetting. In Flink, it was Sunday forever. Bum bum. So that little verse, now, these were all just wacky words that I pulled out of nowhere, words that I used either because they fit the meter or the rhyme. Um, but for instance, the land of Flink, that never existed before I came up with it. And I came up with it solely for the purpose of pleasing not only my own ears, but the ears of who I might share it with. So I had that verse and I knew there was something more to it. I knew that it was just the basis of something great to come. And I had, in effect, built an entire world, the country of Flink, a world in which the beach, the, the beach shimmers in purple and pink, a world in which it is always Sunday, a world where there's a character named Grandma Sue, who um, presumably has some sort of a romantic relationship with her garden gnome named Trevor, and these are all just things that came down from above, Sergio. I don't know where they came from. I asked the universe for the inspiration, and this is what the universe gave me. So in that framework, did I begin to come up with this world, Flink? But where did the characters come from? That's where this book, that's where, this, that's where the strength of this book lies. This character, Samantha, Samantha Muffinbaker, and her friend Daniel Gold. Now, um... Daniel Gold is based on me. All right. That's a that's an insider secret. Don't tell anybody that. I will not tell a soul. Hey, that's cool. Am I really Jewish? Um, ish. One well, I'm one quarter Jewish, not too shabby. All right. But Daniel Gold is the he's the full, you know, shebang. All right. He's he's um him and him and his mommy, they're coming home from synagogue when uh, he, they're apprehended by by uh, Samantha and Petey the pirate. Now also based on me is this one villain, uh, P.T. the Pirate, the man who, he's the one who sort of kidnaps, you could say, little Samantha out of her window one night when she's waiting for the pizza man to arrive. 
Samantha Muffinbaker is based on my ex-girlfriend who shall remain nameless, but- Wait, I thought, I thought my pet name was Muffinbaker. What oh, is this no. ex-girlfriend you're talking about? <laughs> oh, oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. No, I- You're like, yours is more like Muffin Top, he says. <laughs> I know that there was that one night just of one hot night. passion between us. <laughs> Sometimes all it takes is one night. Jennifer Hudson said it best, one night only. Oh, please. Oh. <laughs> so anyway. these characters are based on people you know or an exaggerated version of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's, and, and really it was an expression of my love for her when I started to write this. This is before I realized that she was a complete psychotic bitch, pardon oh. my French. In the beginning, I red bearded her, oh, a Nubian goddess, shall we say, with a gap in her teeth. And she told me, she told me about her trials and tribulations growing up with that big gap in her teeth and how the people would make fun of her. And I thought, what a perfect flaw to give your character. That's what I think makes for a good, strong character is to have a character who's confident in all manner of their, of their life and being, but to have this one flaw that stares everybody in the face and for, for them to have to constantly be coming to grips with that flaw. And I just accept it too. I mean, the only gap tooth icon I can think of is Madonna. And that oh. gap has worked for her from the beginning. <laughs> There you go. So there you go. Oh, okay. Are you? Does this person know this book was written with her in mind, or? Well, she knew. She was right. She was right. She was there when I began it. She wasn't okay. there when I finished it. Well, not only did you write this book, but you also did the illustration, right? I certainly did. Excellent. My God. Like I said, you've got many, many talents. How old were you when you started to show an appreciation or a talent for illustration, drawing, cartooning? Of what are the? What is the technical term? Is is there a term? Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I consider myself a cartoonist and a painter. In fact, that was my first, my first love, Sergio, was, uh, was drawing and painting. Before I was ever a poet, before I was ever a juggler or a unicyclist or a ukulele strummer or a, a, a bard, before I was ever a storyteller, I was a, an artist, a fine artist. So I would dazzle my classmates by drawing funny pictures. Uh, that I knew that I wanted to draw funny pictures from the time I was a little tyke. Okay, so it's a talent you had at the beginning. I discovered, I've always wanted to make people laugh, but I didn't discover I had a talent, you know, develop a talent for comedy until much later. How old were you when you kind of had a sense that this is something you knew you liked? From the, from the time I could hold a pen. Oh, wow. I was, okay. I was drawing little car, cartoon characters and comic strips when I was a, um, I think seven, six or seven. So you had a natural talent for this. You could say that, yeah. Did you actually go to school to hone this skill or you just kind of developed it on your own? Everything self-taught. Out of high, I, I studied in high school, but after high school, a lot of my friends went off to art school and I said, I'm not gonna do that because there's a very important reason because I did not want to compromise my artistic vision. Sooner would I live on the street and eat garbage than sell my soul to the devil. All right. Now I pitched, listen, I pitched this book. I want any young author to listen to this little, I pitched this book to agents, to publishers, and none of them wanted, no, none of them would touch it because it was a little, a uh, character of color, all right, written by a, a white man. Nobody would touch it. 
But I said, I'm not going to fucking art- compromise my artistic vision. So did they come back to you and say, can you make her a different ethnicity or was was that an issue? The fact that it was a person of color and you're a white male? Pretty sure. How many people did you, uh, agents did you pitch it, pitch it to? Hundreds. Oh, really? Now, this is not your first book, right? You've you've written a few books already. So this is my third now. And were the others self-published as well? Or mm-hmm. did you? Have, oh, okay. Well, that's a great thing about the time we're living in. You don't need all these different vehicles. Like you could do a song, put it up in iTunes or wherever and get it out to the public. Obviously not having the, the financial backing for promotions and stuff like that makes a difference, but you have the freedom to create your art which in the past was maybe a bit more challenging. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll dig that, man. I think, uh, I think that it's the end of mainstream media. It's the beginning of this gigantic explosion of media in that you can make a vlog of yourself eating fast food. You can go, you can be at this big, you know, schlub and you can eat all of this disgusting poison and get a hundred thousand followers on YouTube that are just dying to see you eat another, you know, triple cheeseburger from McDonald's. That's what I'm saying is they, they, if you were to pitch that show to Nickelodeon in 1993, they would have laughed you out of that fucking pitch room. They would have said, get out. We're not going to have a show of some fat schlub eating fast food. What are you crazy? But apparently there was a demand for that. Now that's too, I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Compromising your artistic vision is that you go to this committee, this committee that wants to design your creation for you. This schlub had, he had a little, a little fire in his heart that said, I have to eat fast food and make videos of myself eating it and put it on the internet because that's what my people want. Now, how many people would have said, that'll never take off. You'll never get 100,000 followers like that. Lo and behold, he's famous. He's YouTube famous. You could be Insta-famous and be completely talentless. You could be Insta-famous just by, I don't know, be just by taking selfies. You could take a whole bunch of selfies and get Insta-famous doing it. Very true. It's interesting as someone who has to write material, edit material, perform material, re-edit material, finalize the material. I sometimes will see things on YouTube or Instagram or even TikTok, which is the most addicting thing on the planet. I mean, I think you would be great for TikTok, honestly, with your yeah. verses and your personality. I, If you don't have a TikTok, I would say get one and do your ukulele. Do your thing. I, I just, I have this feeling. And if I'm right, just remember that I suggested this, that you would be very successful on TikTok. But I agree with you. Or, I watch some of these things and I'm like, people find this entertaining? Really? Yeah. This dude is just sitting here, burgers? This isn't funny. But I also know that my version of funny comes from a place of understanding the structure of comedy, which mm-hmm. is different from your normal person who just sees something and they think, oh, you know, like, I'm in awe of what you do. If I was a poet, I would probably understand you even more because I would be like, oh, I see what he did there. How clever the play on words or this hidden message. As a normal person, I can look and I'm just enjoying it. So I think with me, when I see these kids, I'm like, really people, you think that's funny? (laughs) But hey, they have millions of followers, endorsements. I opened a TikTok. Any 
it's amazing what on TikTok gets a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. But I think with your style, your personality, I can see you do well with TikTok. And it's just one more way to get your art out. You're right. You're so absolutely you, right about that. I don't know. I heard a lot of weird stuff about um, TikTok and the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, at this point, unless you are seriously trying to hide something, everything we do is out. I mean, the only thing I don't have is an OnlyFans and I go back and forth. At times I think maybe I should get one, but- Oh, really? I don't even know how OnlyFans works. So what I understand is you open an account and yeah. typically you're giving the audience something that they don't have access to. So let's say I wanna do a video of me taking a shower. And if you subscribe to my channel, I'm gonna charge you a monthly fee. And then I can turn on my stream or record myself taking the shower and then I upload the video. So only as a member will you have access to it. So it's like this pay-per-view monthly subscription of Naughty Bits. And it could be anything, someone masturbating. It could be right. someone having sex. It could be someone, you name it. It's this new thing. And I have to tell you, I see people who are on it. Their subscription is maybe $9.99 a month and they've got 12,000 followers. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? <laughs> I should just put up a camcorder and be like, oh, here I am playing with myself. But somehow my brain is not allowing that to enter. <laughs> like I don't, I have a block somehow. Um, well, that's cool, man. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's again, another thing, you no longer need to put out a porn. Like you could just have an OnlyFans page and whoever's in there, they're there to see you. And people post photos, videos. And again, I've seen, people having sex, masturbating, showering, you name it. And also some of the people that are on, and I don't mean to sound judgmental when I say this, it's not your classic beauty that you think, oh man, this woman is stunning. I see why she's on here. Or this man is like a Greek God. Sometimes it's normal looking folks with a normal body that it bring a perspective or an attainability. So it's everything. I've seen people who have full on careers, like went to school, have a career in a very specific field and have an OnlyFans page, which my brain was a little like, wait a minute, what, what are you trying to do here? Yeah, we live in a great time that you can get your art out, whether it's Instagram. Right now, TikTok is the thing. You know, you have TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook. Actually, I just read an article that Facebook is probably where people are making a lot of money because of who goes on Facebook. It's not going to be the young people, but it's going to be people who actually have money. And when they click on your links and, and you advertise, they were saying this particular group of individuals are like, I make most of my money on Facebook. I make very little on Instagram. So depending on what your vehicle is, each platform could give you the potential to earn some money. Well, you have a series, Need a Lift. How did Need a Lift come about? Well, I bought this microphone over the summer for the express purpose of uh, ramping up my YouTube channel because I figured that's what I've got to do Oh, before I carry on on this topic, I just want to touch real quickly. Instagram. I am taking an Insta break. And I started my Insta break at the beginning of November, and I'm going to continue it through the end of the year. Two some, months. Some people grow mustaches in November. You take a break from Instagram. I think I like your version better. Yeah, thank you. Well, I already have a fabulous mustache. But nobody can see it because it's always under that fucking rag. Anyway, uh, at least at work anyway. Um, no. But uh, I'm taking an Insta break. Anybody listening to this, I highly recommend 
you take an insta break you don't realize how much time it's taken up you don't realize how much time it's taken away from from you being a thoughtful human being you could be creating works of art beyond your wildest dreams but you're constantly you no, you think you're you think you're being inspired by this fucking stream, this never-ending stream. You're not. You're being lulled into complacency. Turn it off. Turn your fucking phone off. I guess that was the main inspiration for me to lift, is what I realized is that I, like everybody else, and especially, and you can't blame us, too, because when you lock people in, your, in their fucking apartments, when you say, no, you can't go out to a bar. You can't go to a concert. You can't go to your grandma's house for Thanksgiving. Forget about it. You're going to sit at home and look at your phone, okay? Because that's what you can do. You can sit at home and look at your fucking phone. You can't blame us for being lulled into complacency by this never-ending cycle of hogwash, of uncreative hogwash, too. All right, no, now, I, I'm sorry. I, I retract that. I see a lot of good people doing a lot of good works, putting it up on their Instagram feed. But that's exactly it. It's the putting it up on the feed that's so time-consuming. You could. You could go out and connect with people in the real world. It's not kaput. That's still going on. And it's a it was a beautiful day out there. The, I mean, this is sort of a, a, a little taste of what you'll be getting at the Needlelift podcast. The Needlelift podcast is the call to action for all of my artists' friends. The Needlelift podcast is all about me pulling you up by your shirt collar and saying, hey, you're good enough, you. Remember when you couldn't wait to get out of bed in the morning? Remember when you had something to say to the world? Remember when you were idealistic and you were bogged down by all of this bullshit? By It's like we're so completely overstimulated. That's what Needlelift is about. Needlelift is about you being motivated to get back on the track you used to be on before you became hypnotized by that thing that lives in your pocket. Smash it with a sledgehammer. Yeah, I think the other thing too is a lot of people were not aware of what they were giving up when the smartphone came about. For example, there was a time I could leave work and it was done. But now with you getting your emails on your phone, you are expected to respond 24 hours a day. One of the byproducts of that is that when we send out a message, we now expect an instant response. And, you know, go back 20 years, you called someone, you have to wait till they got home. Um, hey, speaking of which, I'm sorry, I went off on a little bit of a rant uh, just now when I was talking about um, needle lift. What is needle lift? It is a motivational monologue that you get once a week from me, you're truly Clyde, as you could call it the church of Clyde. I know that sounds a little culty, but it's, I'm serious. It's truly uplifting. And I do it with the express purpose of, of giving you a lift, especially if you're feeling down, if you're feeling low, if you're feeling uninspired, if you're feeling unmotivated, please tune in. I've got all of the archives still up and every episode follows a very specific structure that you can look forward to. It's a pep talk. That's me being either your coach or your cheerleader. Pick one. I'm revving you up 
I'm reaffirming your notion that you are on your path to artistic fulfillment. What inspired you to launch this? What inspired me the, in that, that is my, you, that artist statement you read in the very beginning of this podcast, that's what inspired it. I, I knew that that was one of the things I wanted to do every Friday. I used to host, Oh, I'm sorry. Before I can carry on, uh, the, it begins with a pep talk. And then I do a quick uh, recitation of either one of my own verses or a famous verse, very entertaining. And it's always with voice characterizations um, and, and emphasis. I always end on some anecdote, some uplifting, heartwarming, entertaining anecdote about my own life or about somebody else's life, but about being on the artistic scene here in San Francisco, California, because this is, it's been an interesting few years leading up to this coronavirus pandemic. The, the 20 teens, being a creative in the 20 teens in San Francisco, and you can attest for this because you were there with me, Sergio. Yeah. was a wild ride was it not so sometimes i uh, might even one of these days i might even do an anecdote about sergio novoa we don't even know <laughs> just make sure i'm wearing something nice <laughs> now yes. speaking of inspiration you prior to the pandemic hosted a phenomenal open mic that yes. was open to poets musicians rappers comedians i mean i don't think the only thing i didn't see was a juggler or at least not when i was there I mean, there uh, was one Oh, there was. And that's a great oh. thing. You provide a platform for entertainers to showcase and develop their talent. And that's how you and I met. And I was very grateful because I was really nervous, kind of new, trying to figure out if I got the gist of doing this thing. And you were so welcoming and so nice. And I was like, oh, this is so wonderful. How are you surviving without having to host such a, an iconic night that we all look forward to Fridays? Like that was the thing. You went to Cafe International and you did Clyde's open mic. Dude, that's, um, that is so sweet of you to say. And I really am flattered to hear you say that. You see, that actually was one of the big inspirations for the needle lift was that I realized, you know, I was thinking about it. And as great of a poet as I am, I really suspect that so many of my fans, so many of my fans didn't become my fans necessarily because they dug my poetry so much or because they found my poetry so entertaining. But I wonder, and I suspect, and I still suspect that so many of my fans, the people who filled out the marsh at the, at the, the end of my marsh, at the first show at the marsh and the last show at the marsh, I sold it out. Every show in between was a little light in attendance, but I've got to thank Sergio Novoa for being there <laughs> at many, not just one of them. But I was going to say, I've been to a few of your shows. <laughs> Eternally grateful for you, Sergio. Well, anyway, what I'm trying to say is that I wouldn't have sold out that that venue ever had these people not been lifted by me. And that's what I think in the end is what they were a fan of, is the fact that I, at that open mic, as the MC, was not just another, oh, yeah, you, uh, you know, like, eh, I don't care about you. Fuck you. This is just a stupid joke. I genuinely. This is gonna sound so canned and bullshit, but it's not. I genuinely empathized with every single fucking person that took that nonstage. Because I, before, like I said, I before I was ever a performer, I was a cartoonist. If you know many cartoonists, they ain't the most outgoing bunch. That's why they're cartoonists. They're shy, they're reserved, they're quiet. They don't wanna make eye contact. They don't wanna publicly speak. So the first time I ever took that nonstage at Cafe International, and I did it on a whim because I was trying to reinvent myself. The first time I ever, I, 
I'm serious. I thought I thought I was gonna die of a heart attack, Sergio. And oh, you want to know what MC did to make me feel at home? Nothing. You want to know how much encouragement I got from the MC? None. So that's what I'm saying. It's like I want more than anything. I wanted to make every single person that I brought up there feel appreciated because it's like it might seem it might seem to a seasoned professional like oh who ho hum it's a little stupid open mic in a fucking cafe like i could give two shits about that but no it was it was truly my intention to make everybody who got up there feel appreciated because that it's not just a, it's not just some arbitrary thing it's world changing it's life changing how about that it's life changing so that's really what I aim to do. That was my intention as an MC, as a curator, you could say, of this weekly showcase. So now hath it been devastated by the lockdown, I'll say, by the legislation involved, has our dear friend Zara's business been dragged through, suffered the gauntlet of this fucking lockdown, all right? I'm no longer permitted. She is no longer permitted. We are no longer permitted to gather at that fine establishment. So what have I done? I know it's out there. I know it's some, like people are saying it's irresponsible of me. But I continue to host an in-person open mic in an outdoor venue where if you so desire to distance yourself from the crowd, there is plenty of room to do so. All right. And it's at the Scott Street Labyrinth, and it's every Friday night, and it's right here in the Lower Haight, and oh. it's at six o'clock. So come on out. It's it's post-apocalyptic, baby, but yeah. the 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 feeling is still there. All right, and I'll still give you I'll still give you the the royal treatment, so to speak. All right, right. that's what everyone wants. Now, how can people find you if people want to get a hold of you? Do you have a website? I know you're taking an Insta break. But yes. what are what are ways that people can get a hold of Mr. Clyde Always? Please go to ClydeAlways.com. That's Clyde as in Bonnie and Clyde. Always as in I'll always be Clyde Always. ClydeAlways.com. It's all you need to know. Perfect. And there's everything there. There's a little something for everybody. There's links to my videos. There's I keep fresh um, illustrations on the first page. I've got a whole gallery of paintings for you to scroll through. I've got um, it hundreds of illustrations posted that you might like to look through uh, really everything. And then there's links to where you can buy my books. Um, and there's my email address and, and there's a, there's a treasure map to the weekly open mic that happens every Friday night. Oh, there you go. And yes, your latest book, once again, it's Samantha Muffin Baker and the funny land of flink. Yes. A tall Please. tale. Get your hands on a copy. And especially, uh, I mean, I know the, uh, the the holidays are coming up. This would be a great gift for uh, for your for your little nephew or your little niece. If they're just getting into reading, Perfect. pick it up for them. But you can buy it direct from me, okay? Perfect. So just hit me up, all right? If you want it, I'll, I'll ship it to you. Just hit me up. I might even, I've, I'll give you a scholarship. If you're, if you're low on funds, I'll send you a free copy. Just write me a review. That's I will I will go ahead and put your all the links and information on the notes so people can go ahead and access your book. All right, mister, we're going to get to the rapid fire question of the of the segment here. So I'm just going to ask you some random questions. Whatever comes to mind, go ahead and give us your response. Fire what, away. 
<laughs> what have you discovered about yourself due to the pandemic? I've discovered that I am a crotchety old man. <laughs> All righty. What is something most people don't know about you? I like, I, I try to masturbate as little as possible. There's so many follow-up questions I could have on that, but okay. Um, what are three things on your bucket list? Three things on my bucket list. I want to go to Brazil. I want to jump out of an aeroplane. And I want to, I want to draw a graphic novel, which I'm actually in the process of doing now. So that's like basically crossed off. There you oh, go. Okay. If you need me to post, let me know. Oh, baby. In case you need <laughs> me to post. Uh, describe yourself in three words. Bold, beautiful, energetic. What song takes you to your happy place? Oh, it's by Cat Stevens. Because if you want to sing out, sing out. And if you want to be free, be free. Because there's a million things to be. You know that there are. You know the one. I'll have to look it up. What is the thing you're most afraid of? I'm most afraid of what's going on right now in the world. Namely the... I don't even want to say it because it's going to offend your fucking listeners, but the, the tyranny, I'm afraid of the tyranny. That's what I'm afraid of. And it's, if you, if you don't see it, you're blind, you're blind. Describe the perfect kiss in three words. Oh, wet fucking growling and um, forceful. That basically describes our first kiss. Oh, baby. Look at that. Who knew? You, you're uh, going to get me in trouble, man. He's just <laughs> kidding. He's just kidding. Of, of course I'm kidding. Um, what is the most delightful word you can think of? Uh, right now, stupendous. But stupendous. Uh, there's plenty more. But that one, for some reason, that one's been on my tongue all day. Stupendous. All righty. If you were running for office, what would be your campaign slogan? You know what it would be? You do you. That's a great slogan. You do you. Vote for Clyde always. There you go. If you want to do you, you better vote for Clyde always. Because all Clyde always wants you to do is what you want to do. God damn it. Clyde always will never force you unless you want to be forced. But Clyde always is the mortal enemy of force. All right. That's that. That's all there is to it. Okay. All righty. Now, you what can... have you done that you are most proud of? Oh, Lord. Well, I mean, I can't, I can't pick one. Go to my website because I've, I, everything, everything that I've accomplished in my artistic career is there on my website. So the gallery full of paintings I've produced, uh, the hundreds upon hundreds of pages of stories and poems I've written, the, the way I can unicycle, the way I can juggle, the way I developed a, how to play a ukulele. There's nobody in the entire world who can do this with a ukulele besides me. Um, and just the the quantity of lives that I've touched. That How about that? The quantity of lives that I have touched in a positive manner over the course of my dealings as an artist, as a leader in the artistic community here in San Francisco. I think that is something you should definitely be proud of. Everyone that I ever came in contact with at your open mic, the overall vibe and energy in the room was always a positive, encouraging vibe. And you 
are most definitely the one that was responsible for that. So I, yes, I couldn't agree with you more. All right, sir. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining me and doing the podcast. I really appreciate it. It was also great to see you. You know, you don't realize certain things like, oh, this thing I would do on Fridays is now gone. One, because I'm no longer in the area, but just the overall vibe and energy. It's like, oh, I can get that even through this Zoom. It's like, oh, there's that guy that I know that has got this great outlook and is happy and, you know. Thank you for that, Sergio. <laughs> Already said. So, well, you have oh, a great I, night. I, I gotta say, I'm really, I'm really always impressed by all the all the things you were doing and what you were saying about your entrepreneurial entrepreneurial uh, pursuits. That that is something to me that I really um, look up to about you. So thank you for that. All oh, right, thank, you. thank yeah. you for inspiring me to be a better entrepreneur. Hey, trust me. Some people call me bossy. I call it entrepreneurial. Hey, we do do what we can. (laughs) All right, Clyde. By the way, are you doing any stand-up sets or no? Not at the moment. Everything is shut down. The only things that are available are kind of Zoom shows. And comedy via Zoom is just not the same. Dude, it's like jerking off with a condom on, right? uh, What are condoms? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, you know, I've, I've done, I did one event and I've did an open mic scenario to test out material, but for the most part, no, I think comedy, uh, like the ballet, like a concert are things mm. that it has to be filmed in front of a live audience. And then you can enjoy it at home, but it's something that you have to experience and a zoom just doesn't do it. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, that's what I was hearing this guy talk about with laughter is that laughter is like a herd response is that if it's just you watching TV by yourself, you're not likely to laugh at a joke. But if you're in a group of people and like somebody's laughing, like you can't help but join them, you know? And with that, with the Zoom, if you keep the mic on, which you do so you can hear everyone laugh, that laugh will delay the reaction. If anyone yeah. makes a noise, if the phone rings, if the dog barks, there's just so many variables that can't be controlled. So yeah, comedy is tough enough as it is. I don't want to put Zoom comedy scars in my already scarred comedy world. <laughs> so real, real quick here, Sergio, I, I, this, is re- this is just between you and me. I, won't tell I you am in the process of um, figuring out how we can do live performances this spring once the weather starts to improve outside. So that said, I'm going to start organizing shows. Um, there's this great amphitheater. I'm talking about a gigantic stage, right? All we need is a sound system. The acoustics are fabulous. It's in a valley. So, uh, and it's in um, Stern Grove. Have you ever been there in San Francisco? Yes. You've been, so you know where I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. yeah. What's that's stopping what's stopping anybody from putting on a show there? Anyway, that's my that's my idea is to organize a show. So let me know, man. I'd love to have you up for a set. Yes, I've been trying to write every day, so I should have a bunch of new material by the time I hit the stage. So many so. people I know. They're yeah, we're ready and raring to go. So yeah. yeah, if they don't start opening shit up again by this spring or summer, I'm I'm going rogue, baby. I'm putting on shows. So you, you and Sarah Palin. You and Sarah Palin going rogue. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, sir. Well, thank you so much. You have a great night. It was great seeing you. All right, brother. Yeah, thanks for that. Can't Alrighty. wait to see you. All right, bye bye. We all have a story. What's yours? What's yours? What's yours? What's yours? What's yours?